Friends, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to begin in verse 23 and read through the end of the chapter for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Hear now God's word. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you're there. You have entered into the heavenly places. You are seated at the right hand of your Father. You intercede on our behalf. If all of that is true, we beg you, Lord Jesus, would you intercede now and open our eyes and our hearts to these things. We ask in your powerful and risen name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to preach a nine-point sermon at the end of Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to do nine points, and we're going to do it in about 23 minutes. Uh, It's not exactly that way, but here's what's going to happen in the end of Hebrews chapter 9. Basically, we've got a massive bird's-eye view of the three appearances of Jesus. He's going to make three appearances, and in every single one of these appearances, there is a gift that Jesus wins, that he brings, that he offers. And by receiving this gift, understanding this gift, we're going to hear something about the giver of the gift. So we're going to see the appearance, the gift, the giver. The appearance, the gift, the giver. We're going to do that three times as we walk through what Hebrews chapter 9 is presenting to us. Let's talk about the first appearance of Jesus. Jesus appeared on earth. Now, we know that from the Gospels stories. Paul said when he thought about the incarnation of Jesus, when Jesus came to earth as a man and made this first appearance, he said all of this happened at the fullness of time. When time was ripe, when the world was ready, Jesus appeared. Now, the writer to the Hebrews says that even more dramatically in verse 26. I love what he says here because he says, Jesus came to earth at the end of the ages. The first coming of God the Son in the flesh, in a manger, and then on a cross, and then in his death and resurrection. That was so dramatic, that was so definitive that it rearranged our entire calendars. Starting from that point on, which happened 2,000 years ago, we now live in the end of the ages. Everything has changed, and this is now the end of the ages. The first appearance of Jesus is the end of the world as it was, and it's the beginning of the world as it will be. This old world, it's gone. The temple and the tabernacle, they're gone. The ritual washings, they're gone. Animal sacrifices are gone. High priests are gone. 
The day of atonement is gone. All of those things were guides. They were signposts. They were pointing forward. But now that the person himself has appeared, Jesus, when he came to earth, there's no role for the guides and the signposts anymore. He has come. And the benefit, the gift that Jesus brings in his first appearance is crystal clear in our passage. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews, he says it three times just to make sure we understand it. Verse 26, he appeared once for all to put away sin. Verse 28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Again, in verse 28, when he appears a second time, he will not deal with sin. Why? Because when he appeared the first time, he has dealt with it once and for all. The gift Jesus gives in his first appearing is to remove sin from saints forever. That's what he does, and that's the gift that he gives. Now, If you've been with with us in the book of Hebrews for any length of time, you know that the writer to the Hebrews is repeating himself again and again and again on this point that Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. He repeats it throughout the book, and now in our passage alone, he says the same thing three times, which I think begs the question for us, is this original audience, is the Hebrew audience more like us than we know? Is he repeating himself because this audience, like us, wonders if Jesus can really bear the weight of our sin? Is that why he keeps repeating himself? Friends, let the gift Jesus brings in his first appearance, the gift of forgiveness, show us something about the giver himself. Because Jesus' life is infinitely valuable, His death is infinitely worthy to satisfy God's justice and to bear the weight of our sin. Confessing sin and receiving forgiveness, what we do every single day of the life of a believer is not a dirty little deed a Christian does to get ourselves ready for worship. Confessing sin and receiving forgiveness is worship. It is an act of worship. We don't ask our members to, outside on Blanding Street, do business with God so that they're ready to come into the sanctuary pristine and clean and ready to worship the living God. No, we place confession of sin and receiving forgiveness of sin prominently in the worship service because it is an act of worship. You confess your sin and you receive forgiveness and you're not asking the question, am I forgivable? Is what I've done and where I've been and what I've thought, are these things forgivable? We're answering the question, is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy to carry the weight of our sin? And when you confess your sin and you open your hands to believe the radical truth that Jesus forgives sin, you are receiving the gift and declaring the absolute infinite worth of Jesus. 
Here's the second appearance. Jesus appears on earth, then he appears before his father. Now, I don't want to confuse us because the Bible talks about the first and second coming of Jesus to earth. He came to earth in the incarnation. He's coming again in judgment, but Hebrews is talking about three appearances. And so Jesus appears first on earth, and then now he appears before his father before he comes again. And this is where I get it. Verse 24, look with me. For Christ has appeared not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I might be totally off base when I say this, but I've thought this myself, and so I wonder if you possibly struggle with this too. I think sometimes when we dwell on the first appearing of Jesus, that he has arrived in such a massive history rearranging scale and offered himself as substitutionary atonement for our sins, that falls on me as a generality. I think of Jesus saving the many, but I sometimes don't think of him directing that salvation to me personally. Now, that's not true, but I think I get lost in the cosmic shuffle of what's happening here. A couple of weeks ago, Julie and I, my wife and I, went tubing on the river. And so we went to the Gervais Street Bridge where you get picked up by an activity bus and you go out to the zoo, and that's where they have the tube station. And as we're kind of getting off the bus, the driver of the bus, he's standing at the bottom of the stairs, and he's shouting to all of us way louder than he needs to, thank you so much for choosing us watch your step. Thank you so much for choosing us. Watch your step. And and the way it kind of worked, by the time we got to the front of the steps and we're ready to get off the activity bus, uh, someone up ahead of us has kind of slowed down. And so he shouts this thing in my direction like three times. Thank you so much for choosing us. Watch your step on the way out. All the while he's digging in his pocket for a cigarette. Because of that, I, I didn't take his thank you so much for choosing us as maybe earnest gratitude directed to me personally. I don't think he was singling me out to show gratitude. I I took it as general gratitude that people still go tubing and he still has a job and he can afford to buy cigarettes. That's kind of how the thing fell on me because you get lost in the gratitude shuffle. I mean, he's not talking to me specifically. That's relevant in the way we think about how Jesus' work in his first and second appearance is being applied to us. I think more than any other doctrine, except the doctrine of union with Christ, this second appearance of Jesus, now before his Father, is going to cast generalities aside. It's going to challenge any fears we have of being lost in an inter-Trinitarian salvific shovel. Chapters 2, 4, 5, 9 make the absolute stupendous claim that Jesus is actively, personally, daily making intercession for you and I before his Father in heaven. In the time between Jesus' first coming on earth and his second coming on earth, Jesus is not idle in the waiting room of heaven. He is active and he is interceding on our behalf. He's giving us the gift of intercession. Would you let that gift of Jesus' second appearance show us the giver? 
Jesus alone sits at the right hand of his Father. Jesus alone has the full attention of God himself. And Jesus chooses to turn and lavish that attention on you and on me. You're not lost in a generality. Jesus now, even at this moment, is speaking your name before his Father in heaven. He gives you the gift of intercession, and in doing so, he shows you his very self. Let's talk about the third appearance of Jesus. He came in his first appearance, his incarnation on earth. That happened 2,000 years ago. He is now appearing before the Father. That happened ever since his ascension, and it's still happening now before his Father. And the third and final appearance of Jesus, that is going to happen any minute now, even before the sermon is done. The Bible says, we're going to meet Jesus face to face in one of two ways. This is going to happen one way or another. Either we will die and we will be ushered into his presence, or Jesus will come again and will be ushered into his presence. Verse 27 refers to death. Look at this. It says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That means that if Jesus chooses to wait, if he doesn't return soon, and he waits to return to this earth, every single person in this room has an appointment with death. Every single person in this room is going to die. That's sad, and that's tragic, That's going to be a weighty thing for those of us who are left behind in your death, but it is not going to be random, and it's not going to be premature, because the writer to the Hebrews says that each of us has an appointment with death. This thing is ordained, and it's fixed. Job 14.5 says, you have determined the length of our lives. This is a providentially set moment in our life. I don't know if you've been on the interstate recently and you've seen the morbid digital sign that appears that says there's been 582 traffic deaths in South Carolina alone this year. Tragically, that means 582 people of all ages and all backgrounds and all races and all economic statuses who were not planning on dying in 2016 have died and they have been ushered into the very presence of God. Death is an inescapable fixed point. By waking up this morning and getting out of bed, we all inadvertently took one step closer to our death and it will come. For a person who doesn't know Jesus, for a person who hasn't thrown themselves on the mercy of God in the way that he offers himself to us in the gospel, that's a terrifying thing. It's terrifying to imagine that at any moment, unprepared, not ready to know what we're going to say to our maker, we may die, Jesus may return, and we will be ushered into the presence of God in judgment to answer for everything we have done in the body, what we have thought and what we have said and what we have done. That's a terrifying place to be as a person who doesn't know Christ. But Hebrews 
is writing to the Christian, and he says that we have a very different perspective about death. Verse 28, it gives us a clue because the way we think about death is the same way we think about Christ's final appearance because both of those things are going to net the same result. Both of those things mean we are going to come face to face with Jesus. Look at verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The gift of Jesus's final appearance is salvation, which is another way to say that the gift of Jesus's final appearance is Jesus himself. He's going to give us himself, whether we die and come face to face with Jesus, or the final trumpet sounds, and we come face to face with Jesus. Either way, the result is the same, and a believer faces Jesus himself, and that makes us indescribably happy. That's the goal, that's the prize, that's what we long for in our life. The gift shows us something about the giver, because Jesus himself is infinitely worth being eager for. We will see him face to face. Now, I wonder if just in closing, we could linger on that line for just a final moment. Think about the gift of Jesus' appearing, which is the gift of himself. Because that last line of our passage, that really struck me as I read and studied it. It says, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. As I took that line, as I chewed on that line, as I thought about that line, I kind of wondered how often in my life I am consciously, actively, attentively, expectedly waiting for Jesus to appear. Honestly, I think that's very little of my life, and I wonder if you're in the same place. How often do you think about Jesus returning again at any moment and coming face to face with the one who is the goal of your entire life? I don't want to chide us for not being as excited as we should be about Jesus' appearing. I want to encourage our eagerness as we think about Jesus coming. Our family, the Gentino family, we're slated to go to the beach next month. That's our family vacation. We're going to the beach. We're excited about it. Every single person in our family prefers not to be surprised about a vacation. We want to know when it is. We want to know where we're going. We want to know what we're doing because we think that waiting for the vacation is half the fun, right? We, as our family, we talk about it. We ask incessantly how many more days till we go to the beach. We show pictures of where we're going. We make plans for what we're doing. Three quarters of those plans have something to do with food and what we're going to eat on our vacation. That's what we like to do because that builds the anticipation. It builds the excitement. We're all eagerly waiting for this thing. Christian, at any moment, any minute, an absolute surprise to every single one of us, almost like a thief coming in the middle of the night that you didn't prepare for, Jesus is going to return. And everything I gather from the prophets and the epistles says that his return is going to be a step up from North Myrtle Beach. 
This thing is going to be stupendous. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 16, he writes that Jesus is the gift himself. When he appears, the Holy One who cannot see corruption in your presence, your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is going to appear and he is the gift himself. So Christian, be eager for Jesus. Be eager for the appearing of Jesus. The more we build and invest in our earthly home, the less we long for our heavenly home. The more we nibble on the things of this world, the less we have an appetite for Christ himself. The more we worry and fret and spend time worrying about things that are going to perish and pass away, the less time we have to meditate on the one who will live forever. Christian, be eager for Jesus. Wanting to escape hell is not the same thing as wanting Jesus to appear. Wanting to be free from the pain we experience in this life is not the same thing as wanting Jesus to appear. Christian, be eager for Jesus. If in his first appearance, he gives us the gift of taking away all of our sin, he bears the weight of our boredom at his coming. He has taken that completely away. If in his second appearing, he stands before his father and he intercedes on our behalf, that means he pleads even now that we will have joy in his appearing. Christian, be eager For Jesus, think about it, pray for it, talk to each other about it, imagine what is going to happen, make your plans around this very thing. Christian, be eager for Jesus, hold your hands outstretched, because at any moment he offers this third and final gift himself to us forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is it. This is the prize. This is the goal. This is our aim to be absent from the body. However that happens is to be present with the Lord. And it is this one thing that we want to want more than anything else in this life. Would you make us a people who eagerly wait for your appearing? Do this, we ask, in your very name. Amen.